Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature John Stott. When Stott speaks, he has a voice that is friendly, courteous, and natural. It is humble and self-critical, but also confident, joyful, and optimistic. Stott's mission is to pierce through all the encrustation and share direct contact with Jesus. Stott says that the central message of the gospel is not the teachings of Jesus, but Jesus himself, the human divine figure. He is always bringing people back to the concrete reality of Jesus's life and sacrifice. Today, John Stott presents a sermon on Palm Sunday. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor, was languishing in a Nazi prison, there was a certain question which he continually asked himself. It is this. He wrote, what is bothering me incessantly is who Christ really is for us today. When you think about it, it is a very bothersome question. On the one hand, we want to present Jesus Christ to modern men and women in a way that resonates with them and makes sense to them. But on the other hand, we must beware of modernizing Jesus. We have no liberty to falsify the authentic Jesus in order to secure for him a kind of phony phony relevance. But this, I'm afraid, is precisely what some sections of the church have done from generation to generation. The truth is that there are dozens of Jesuses, dozens of caricatures of Jesus that are on offer in the world's religious supermarkets. For example, there is the clown of Godspell, There is Jesus Christ Superstar, the disillusioned celebrity. There is Jesus the Socialist that Arthur Scargill tells us he believes in. There is Jesus the Capitalist, the founder of modern business, described by Bruce Barton, the Madison Avenue ad man, in his famous book, The Man Nobody Knows. Then there is Jesus Christ, the first century Che Guevara, the freedom fighter, the urban gorilla with flashing eyes and black beard. And there are many more attempts to present Jesus Christ in a form that will appeal to our contemporaries. Now the quest for the authentic Jesus is a vitally important quest. Because we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is what has been called the human face of God. What we know about God, we've learned from Jesus Christ, from watching him and from sitting at his feet and listening to his word. Because we remember that he once said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So that our image of God, our understanding of God must be derived from Jesus Christ. Well, Palm Sunday provides an excellent example 
of how we should think about Jesus and therefore how we should think about God. Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, as I'm sure we all know, is recorded in all four of the Gospels. There are not many events that are recorded in all four, but Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all tell this story. And then he adds details which the others omit. My plan this morning is to focus on Luke's account of the first Palm Sunday. An early tradition, you know, suggests that Luke may have been a painter or an artist. He was certainly an artist in words. He records three incidents on that first Palm Sunday, all of which relate to Jesus on the one hand and Jerusalem on the other. So now if you'd like to follow the text, it would be good if you would be kind enough to take your Bible and turn to page 1054. Page 1054 is Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. In verses 28 to 40, we see Jesus riding into the city on a donkey. In verses 41 to 44, we see Jesus weeping over the same city. And in the last two verses, 45 to 46 of our passage, we see Jesus cleansing the city, or at least its most prestigious building, the temple, from its commercialization by merchants. And in each of these three incidents, we see Jesus in a different mood, expressed by a different dramatic action. And when we put the three together, they challenge some of our conventional images of Jesus and so some of our conventional images of God himself. So let's go through them. First, we see Jesus riding into the city from verse 28 onwards. He had evidently made up his mind sometime previously to fulfill what was written of the Messiah in Zechariah's prophecy and chapter 9, namely that a future king of Judah would ride into Jerusalem triumphant and victorious. Not, however, with swashbuckling bravado, not on a prancing war charger, but instead meekly, humbly, on the back of all creatures of a donkey. And thus he would proclaim peace to all the nations, we read in Zechariah 9, and he would inaugurate the universal reign of the Prince of Peace. And that vision of Jesus meekly, humbly, riding, trotting on the back of a donkey, speaks to us of the nature of God. Now I'll come back to it a little bit later. Well, this incident about the donkey bears all the signs of having been prearranged and even stage managed. Because probably on a previous visit, Jesus had arranged with some friends or disciples in the village of Bethany that they would lend him their donkey when the time came. They'd make it available to him at a particular place 
and at a particular time in exchange for an agreed password when they said the words, the Lord needs him, he would then be released. And by riding into the city on a donkey in deliberate fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, Jesus was both claiming to be the messianic king and also proclaiming what kind of king the Messiah would come to be. For Palestine at that time is a hotbed of revolutionary expectations. And although scholars aren't altogether agreed about this, it seems that the Zealot Party had been formed at the beginning of the century. But Jesus now decisively, deliberately rejected the Zealot option. He entered Jerusalem on a docile donkey as the Prince of Peace. And then the crowds entered into the drama with him. Even if, as John says, they didn't fully understand what they were doing and didn't comprehend it until after the resurrection. Nevertheless, they spread their cloaks on the back of the donkey before Jesus mounted it. They spread their cloaks on the road. And then they broke into spontaneous cheering. Quoting Psalm 118, verse 26, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But unfortunately, their enthusiasm was short-lived, as all the evangelists make plain. And the truth is, they didn't want a Messiah of that kind. They didn't want a meek, mild, gentle, humble Messiah. No, they wanted a national hero who would rescue them from the domination of Rome and who, in addition, would restore their political independence. They wanted a military messiah, a political messiah, not one who was meek and mild, as according to that vision of him on the back of the donkey. So Jesus disappointed them, because he wasn't what they, in their a priori conviction, wanted him to be. He didn't fit their preconceived image of what the Messiah should be. Jesus riding into the city on the back of a donkey. Then we come to our second image, verses 41 to 44. We see Jesus weeping over the same city. Having passed the villages of Bethany and Bethphage, this little cavalcade rounded the brow of the Mount of Olives and suddenly Jerusalem came into full view with all its glittering pinnacles and its uh, capacious courts, or the courts of the temple. And here it seems the cheering crowd fell into silence. And to everybody's astonishment, indeed I think we may say to everybody's embarrassment, Jesus actually burst into tears. And through his sobs, he uttered a prophetic lament over the city. Verse 42, if only you had known. If only your eyes had been opened. If only you had known what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come, Jesus went on as a prophet, saying, 
that your enemies will surround and besiege the city and destroy it until there is no stone standing upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, the day of your visitation, your kairos, your moment of opportunity, finally to repent and to believe in the Messiah. Well, what is most remarkable, I think, in that uh, picture is that at the very moment when he was warning them of judgment, he was weeping over them in love. So, judgment and mercy belong together. Love and severity belong together in the character and in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus riding into the city. Jesus weeping over the city. And thirdly, verses 45 and 46, we see Jesus ridding the temple of its merchants. It seems that he actually entered the temple the same day, but didn't stay long. He came back the following day and entered the temple area and was immediately shocked by what he saw, namely the commercialization of the holy sanctuary of God. The business of the money changers related to the half-shackled temple tax which everybody had to pay. And the merchants were selling cattle and sheep for the purposes of sacrifice. And this lucrative business had been a, become a monopoly of the high priests. So they had led to a, a gross exploitation of the poor. It had turned God's house of prayer into a den of thieves. Jesus knew his Old Testament very well. He deliberately brought together two verses, Isaiah 56 verse 7, that speaks of the temple becoming a house of prayer for all the nations, and then Jeremiah 7 verse 11, which speaks of it being turned into a den of thieves. And then John is the one who tells us that Jesus made a whip out of many cords, Although it seems clear that he used it on the cattle and on the sheep and not on human beings. So there are three images of Jesus, three pictures of him uh, on the first Palm Sunday. Riding into the city, weeping over the city, ridding the city and the temple of its exploitation and commercialization. So this is the portrait that Luke paints of him. Humble and gentle on the one hand as he rides into the city on a donkey. Broken hearted as he weeps over the impenitent city that refuses to give him the welcome he deserves. And then also holy and severe driving the merchants out of the temple. Now, you know, the, the question that confronts us when we read of these three incidents in the life of Jesus is, is this the kind of God we believe in? That is a proper question to ask, because he said that he who has seen me has seen the Father. He was revealing, manifesting the kind of person God was. And the question is, have we room in our understanding of God 
for these three images. Let me take them again more quickly. First, have we ever seen God on a donkey? It sounds anomalous, even absurd, because the donkey is the ass. My, old in my Oxford English Dictionary says that the ass is proverbially, proverbially regarded as the type of clumsiness, ignorance and stupidity. And at least ever since A.A. Milne created Winnie the Pooh's friend, Eeyore, gloomy and grey, the inveterate pessimist, it has seemed all the more extraordinary that God should condescend to ride on such a grotesque creature. But God gave him, or it, Eeyore, the donkey, his moment of glory. Do you know G.K. Chesterton's poem about the Palm Sunday donkey? Here it is. The donkey is speaking. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born with monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody of all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fools, I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and pearls before my feet. So God condescended to that donkey as he condescends also to us. He did ride into the city on a donkey and I venture to say that he still does. He does not come to us in shining armor on a war horse. He will not use force to gain an entry into our lives. He comes with humility and gentleness, respecting our human integrity, and he is still the Prince of Peace. I think we need in our image of Christ to know more of what the Apostle Paul called the gentleness and meekness of Christ. That is how he comes to us still in his humility. God on a donkey. Then secondly, God in tears. Jesus wept in sorrow over the willful blindness of the city of Jerusalem. Friends, has it ever occurred to you that our behavior might cause God to weep? We feel embarrassed when people weep in public, especially when we are the cause of their tears. We probably despise people who are weak enough to burst into tears like that. We call them crybabies. Had you ever thought how to cope with a crybaby God? And then God on a donkey, God in tears. The third is God with a whip. But notice carefully, it's only after we have seen the tears in his eyes that we are in a position to see the whip in his hand. 
divine judgment is a very serious and a very awful reality. But remember the God who judges us is the God who weeps over us. He is not willing that any should perish. He longs that everybody should come to repentance. And if in the end his judgment falls upon anybody, as I fear from Scripture that it will, his eyes will be brimful of tears. And this is the God that we believe in, whom the authentic Jesus has revealed to us. God on a donkey, God in tears, and God with a whip. Let us pray. Perhaps we could spend a moment in, in silent reflection using our imagination, seeking to recapture these images of the donkey, the tears, and the whip. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us supremely in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for these and other images of him which are therefore images of you. We want to pray that for ourselves and one another that you will lead us into a more complete and balanced understanding of who you are. This is our prayer on Palm Sunday for the glory of your great name. Amen. You've been listening to John Stott. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.